Ryan Dixon and Rory Boylan host Tape to Tape, the hockey podcast by Sportsnet. Rory, do you ever hear about a player signing with a team and think, what the hell is that guy doing? Oh, all the time. All the time. So one of mine from the summer of 2017 was, what the hell is Brian Boyle doing? He'd been playing for Tampa and Toronto. (laughs) Yeah, I thought he was a great fit on some teams that had a chance to be really good. And boom, he goes and signs a two-year deal with the Devils. And as noted, I thought, what the hell is he doing? I guess he knows a little bit more about hockey than you or I, or knows about his own impact and ability to make teams good because, man, the Devils look good again. They were, I guess I can't say hands down, the surprise team of last year because Colorado was a huge surprise, but the Devils, I think we basically had circled for 16th or 15th in the East. They made the playoffs. Taylor Hall has an MVP year, and boom, out of the gate, 4 0. Rory, I think a future uh, tape-to-tape podcast might include a fake Corey Schneider trade because <laughs> Keith Kincaid is backstopping that team to uh, to extreme heights, and they look good. Yeah, I don't know what Schneider's value would be, but but certainly we, we, we might have to explore that. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the Ottawa Senators later on this episode with Wayne Scanlon coming in as, as a guest, but the Devils are kind of similar in what they did last year. I mean, the expectations were super, super low, but their style of game changed. You know, we think of New Jersey Devils, and what do you think of? You think of neutral zone trap. We're still stuck in that still stupid stuck in mentality, that. yes. Yeah, th- this is not those New Jersey Devils. No. Not the Lou Lamorello New Jersey Devils, Martin Broder, Scott Stevens, those guys. This, this is a high-tempo, back-and-forth, very risky team that has some high scoring guys on that top line you know taylor hall was the heart guy obviously nico hisher the number one overall pick i think we forget how good of a goal scorer kyle palmieri is yes. seven goals in his first four games this season very austin matthews-esque of him and he's on that top line when he's healthy i mean this guy is one of the better even strength scorers in the league their defense is is a little a little flying under the radar i think it was a really good trade for them looking back to pick up sammy vatnin for Adam Henrique last season, you know, the Ducks got what they needed out of that. The Devils got some help for the back end there, but but you kind of hit it there on the intro. The goaltending has been a huge difference for this team. When Corey Schneider went down, you know, it was thought, oh, there's, there's it's kind of a wasteland back here. Corey Schneider is, you know, a top probably seven, maybe top five goalie in the league when he's on his game probably not there anymore but here comes Keith Kincaid and speaking of guys are what they're what are they thinking when they sign here in Elliot Friedman's 31 thoughts this week he talked about Keith Kincaid's decision to sign in New Jersey and how he was a Martin Brodeur fan and he said you know you you look at the depth charts of all these teams and you figure out who's been re-signed where the opportunities are and he saw a great little spot here in New Jersey and over time it just kind of played out this way where the opportunity it came up He seized it, and he has been fantastic looking. He looks the part of a number one goalie. And you do wonder if Corey Schneider comes back. He's still, you know, we're not sure when he's going to be back. He's been on the ice a couple times, but but we don't really know yet. Don't really know how much staying power he's even going to have. But even before he got hurt, like, he was on a downward trend, not looking like he was five years ago or so. So you even have to wonder, if he does come back, do they look at a trade for him? Is Keith Kincaid the guy? Is this more of a 1A, 1B tandem situation? I don't think they go right back to Corey Schneider if Keith Kincaid is no. playing like this. They have positive five-on-five shot differentials. Maybe this isn't just a flash-in-the-pan team from last year. I think this New Jersey team 
has some staying power. I think he sure really gets lost in the mix, oh, too. Yeah. I mean, when you are the guy, you know, Connor McDavid, first overall pick, Austin Matthews, first overall pick, Rasmus Dolan the year after you, but in there, the 2017 draft when, you know, we really weren't 100% sure going into draft day how it was going to shake yeah, out. No. You know, the first Swiss kid taken first overall. You talk to people, they'll tell you. He might not jump off the page, but he's better than a lot of people realize. And he helps Taylor Hall just go play that blazing game up and down the wing. He's a really, really smart player who's yeah. going to be more appreciated over time. Yeah, he's, his two-way game hasn't been fully appreciated yeah. yet. That's That was part of the thing, him coming in, why he was able to leapfrog Nolan Patrick in the last half of that season into the number one spot is he brought a really good defensive element to his game it's going to take time to for that to fully blossom in the nhl but he's shown his offensive side for sure to this point so the defense is just going to catch up but i think part of the reason he flies under the radar is like you said like he's not that generational talent at the top of the draft like we've seen from the matthews mcdavid darling these kind of drafts he was a guy who after his great wjc performance kind of was rapidly coming up those draft lists nolan patrick was the probably not a generational talent, but pretty close to it in the whole lead up to that draft year. He was phenomenal in the WHL a year before his draft year. Then he had his injury problems. He's had injury problems his, his entire career. Elias Pettersson is part of that draft. Miro Heiskanen is part of that draft. Well, now we're talking about that draft in the context of, oh, it should have been Pettersson number yeah, one overall, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's like, there was no clear number one pick. And we're probably going to be debating the top five of that draft for a number of years to come. But there's no reason to think that Nico Hischer is not part of that discussion as the top prospect to come out of that draft still. Yeah, he looks good, and so do the Devils. It's always good times here on the Tape to Tape podcast. As you mentioned, Rory, we're going to bring Wayne Scanlon on to talk about the surprising Ottawa Senators in the back half. But before we get there... We want to put a new wrinkle into uh, an old game. We have played the Would You Rather game on tape to tape before, but moving forward, we're going to enlist a little help. Here's the plan. We went into the Sportsnet.ca newsroom, chock full of fine people with many, many burning sports questions on their brain. We asked them to limit it to hockey for the purposes of this podcast. And you, dear listener, are going to hear these questions for the first time, just like Rory and I. Producer show went out into the newsroom, collected these questions, wasn't kind enough to share them with us beforehand. He's just going to drop them on us. So we're all going through this for the first time here. So show, why don't you tee up the first question we have? Would you rather have the Leafs high-flying offense or the Predators shutdown defense? Oh, good question, Jeff Lowe. Good question. Would you rather have the Leafs' high-flying offense or the Predators' lockdown defense? I'm fresh off a conversation with an unnamed longtime executive who was talking about the fact that maybe, maybe we're overvaluing how important defensemen are because today... All they're being told to do is just skate. Yeah. If you can just, you don't have to, it used to be the thinking man's position. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, as of Pittsburgh 2015-16, it's move it up, move it up, get it out, skate it, move it. There's There's a more limited range of options. So I will, in all honesty, if you'd, if, if, uh, Gilo had asked me this two days ago, I might have still 
come down on the national side of things because just how much those guys can play. But you know what? The hell with it. I'll say the least incredible offense that's going to be able to just generate so many goals and dig them out of holes and create huge holes for the other team. Yeah, I... Uh, this is a slam dunk for Toronto for me. Uh, you just look at some Stanley Cup champions from recent years. The Pittsburgh Penguins, they won twice. One of those times they did it without Chris Letang. Yeah. And there was a lot of problems, a lot of holes that looked, looked like they were holes anyway on that defense. Washington last year, yeah, you have John Carlson. I don't... I mean, he had a career. I don't know how I feel about John Carlson as a he's number a really, one. He's a great, he's great offensive defenseman. Yeah, but then also, like, Michael Kempney was yeah. a key player on that team. And where did he come from? He was yeah. cast off from the Chicago Blackhawks. So I don't think you need to have six defensemen, six great defensemen to win a Stanley Cup. I think it's more important to load up your, your forward lines. And, and solidifying this opinion, I was just editing. We posted a, an article from Andrew Berkshire today looking at the power play success rates around the NHL and how how and why the man advantages are getting better and better and better every year. And his main takeaway from that was looking at how many passes are going to the slot, how many shots are coming from that slot. The point shot is dying. And so teams are needing their forwards to get the puck into the high-quality areas, get those shots off. And that's a huge reason why the power plays are, are, are so successful and it's so important. I mean, 18 teams converted on t- at least 20% of their power plays last year. In 2012, I think it was three. Wow. So it's hugely on the upside. And then you look at the, the teams and how they're actually, you know, who the players are when they're on the man advantage. It's more often than not four forwards and one defenseman. Yeah. So Almost for me, it's, it's now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Florida started the season with five forwards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The Leafs win that round. Would you rather have an Olympic gold medal or a Stanley Cup? <laughs> Stanley Cup. Come on, Gary Metal. Now, Gary's a big soccer fan, so international competition is in his blood, right? He's been living yeah. and dying with Ronaldo and the yeah. Portuguese team for some time now, and he was living high in Euro 2016. Would you rather have... I mean, the the real question here is how many Europeans would rather have a gold than a Stanley Cup now? And I think the honest answer is not that many anymore. I mean... It's changed. L- listen, Ovi would have partied to an amazing degree had Russia won in Sochi. Maybe it would have been on par. I don't know. But could you imagine being even 1% happier than he was winning that Stanley Cup? If you go back to the mid-90s or before, you know, 10, 15 years ago even, well, 15, 20, I think the majority of Euros probably still would have picked the gold medal. But I think the NHL has become... So entrenched there and just, you know, people, it's so much easier to see games Hmm. now. I think those players have grown up wanting to win a Stanley Cup as well. I I will say this too, as a fan, like when I was a kid, I was as invested in Canada as I was in the Canadians. Right. That is not the case at all anymore. Now, Team Canada is like this little fling that comes up for two weeks. And, oh, isn't this fun? There's all these really good guys on the team. Then it goes away. And, I mean, part of it, I guess, too, was they hadn't won a gold medal for so long before 2002. So maybe if there was still a drought going on, I'd be a little more invested. But I I just I feel like the regular so much of the regular season winning the Stanley Cup is about enduring the grind and being in for the long haul and the ups and downs and the four rounds so that if you actually do it, it's just ecstasy. From a Canadian player perspective, do you think any Canadian players would rather have had the gold medal in Vancouver than a Stanley Cup? 
on home ice, I mean, that atmosphere was just great. Am- amazing. Is there a trade-off there, doing it on home ice? Would Jonathan Taves give up all three of his cups for that gold medal? I don't medal? think he would, no. but that's that's the one where it gets me thinking, Would you? That that's that's an interesting trade-off from a Canadian player's perspective. I, I still think no. It's a great question. Or... Even forget Taves with his three because that's such a legacy or Crosby with his three. Like, was there a guy on that team who was, I mean, I guess the thing is anyone who was on, was good enough to be on team Canada was a major player on a Stanley cup winner. So, I mean, I like maybe if you weren't a huge player on a Stanley cup team, but you were a huge player in the Olympic gold, you would value that more, but that doesn't make sense because you'd have to be an amazing player to be on the team, the national team. So I, I, I really do think it is 100% win the Stanley Cup. And should you ever have a chance? I mean, once once you've won both, some of those lucky guys who, who have won both, I'm sure they reflect back on both with kind of equal fondness, yeah. if that makes sense. But yeah. if you said, which would you rather have, which... You know, before you have anything, what would you rather have? You're going to hear Stanley Cup. Yeah, when you're growing up as a kid, you're playing on the rink or you're playing, you know, in the summer on the road, playing road hockey. You're in game seven in overtime playing for the Stanley Cup. You're not really playing for the gold medal or anything like that. So, you know, from a very early age, this is the goal of Canadian players. It probably is. There are probably individual examples of guys who would maybe be feel better about the gold medal. I, I remember, and I don't know if he would be a, one of these examples, but I remember when the Olympics were in Vancouver, there was that story of American Jack Johnson driving up there to be part of the opening ceremonies. And oh, yeah. not a lot of guys were involved in that part of it. So, you know, he's a guy who just, he wanted to be there and soak all of this stuff in. So I, I and again, I don't know if he would trade off a Stanley Cup for a gold medal, but, but there's probably individual cases where guys do feel that way. And the players have clearly gone to great lengths to tell us how important the Olympics are and how yeah. pissed off they are that the NHL isn't there. I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, the generation of kids who've grown up seeing Sidney Crosby, the Sidney Crosby, Mike Babcock team Canada at Olympics and, and the world cup. I, I mean, I think it is to bring it to, to bring it full circle back to Gary's question. It's probably becoming like soccer where, for players like, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, your national team is every bit as important, sometimes more important as yeah. trying to win uh, the Champions League or the Premiership. So I think hockey players are going to grow up thinking there's two things out there for me. There's right. the Stanley Cup and there's Olympic gold. But I still think the Stanley Cup is a hair above. John T- Jonathan Taze wouldn't trade three of his Stanley Cups for a gold medal. Would he trade one of them? Yeah. If he could say, like, you give up one cup and yeah. keep the gold and keep the other two, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Would you rather have had Daniel or Henrik Sedin on your team? Whoa. <laughs> Leave it to Mikey J. Wow. To lay the brain buster, the head splitter on us. Would you rather have Henrik... Or Daniel Sedin on your team, I am going to just default to the positional argument and say, I guess I would take Henrik the center. I'm actually going to go with Daniel. Okay. The goal scorer. Really? Yeah. You're going to build your team around the winger? Yeah. uh, I mean, it wasn't who would you build around. I guess it was who would you rather have. No. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) this is a really difficult question. I think if, if everything's equal... Because they were so good at cycling the puck with each other, and then whoever, you know, figure out who the third line mate was going to be, like that that line was always around these two guys being able to work the cycle as a twosome. 
I, I don't know. Would Henrik have been as successful without Daniel doing that or not? I, I mean, he certainly has. I, I'm, I feel like we could go in circles forever is, being like, a, would, would Daniel have been as successful yeah. without Henrik? Would Hen- <laughs> but I mean, da- Daniel is is the goal scorer. He scored 40 goals. He scored 30 a couple times. I think that is more easily translatable to uh, a life where his brother wasn't on his line with them. Could be, we'll never know. We'll, you know, Someone's maybe we should put this through park. an EA translator or an EA simulator or something like that. But uh, the position argument is an interesting one. But I'm going to take the goal scorer, Daniel. Would you rather have Brock Besser or Elias Pettersson if you could only have one? I'm very, as I, I think I said this on the show last week, I'm very involved with Elias Pettersson in my fantasy league, so I'm going to pick him. Okay. <laughs> I guess I have to stick by my center argument. I mean, it's a pretty small sample yeah. size with Pettersson, but uh, it's not like there's a huge one for Besser either. Crazy to think the the legacy of Swedes coming through that one year, or not even one year, the, the next year after the Sedins wave goodbye to Vancouver, they've got uh, another slick, slick Swede in the lineup. Well, I have to say that was fun. I think we're going to go back to the newsroom again, folks. I think you can count on some more questions coming from the fine people we work with. Some more surprises for Rory and I. Coming up after the break, it is Wayne Scanlon to the rescue because we need an explanation on what is going on with the hot start in Ottawa. Wayne has been contributing to Sportsnet.ca, covering the Senators. He's going to fill us in on the scene. That is coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. When we designed the GMC Sierra, we took inspiration from the Northern Lights. Was it because of the otherworldly sense of awe they impart upon us? Their breathtaking majesty as shining beacons of the tundra. Their energetic dance across the moonlit sky. No. It's because the northern lights are bright. And the LED headlights on the GMC Sierra are bright too. Drive Canada like a pro. GMC. We are professional grade. Visit gmccanada.ca for more. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Joining us on the line now, he covers the Ottawa Senators for Sportsnet.ca. It is Wayne Scanlon. Wayne, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. We are wonderful. We want to learn a little more about these surprising sends. I think we all understand it's early days and uh, caveat, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But... Let's face it, the Sens have been exciting, far more uh, enticing team to watch than I think people expected. What has jumped off the page to you early on? Well, you know, I don't want to make you guys sound like outsiders because I listened to a recent podcast and you had some pretty sharp analysis well, on those thank you, thank centers, you. So. Thank you. Flattery goes a long way here. I didn't think anybody in, in, in the city of Toronto paid attention to the Ottawa hockey team up here, but you guys, uh, you guys are on the mark. I, and I'm, one of the things that you talked about was the change in style of Guy Boucher, um, the defense being more active, and I, I think you're bang on on all those points. I'm I'm shocked, to be honest, at what I'm seeing. I, I didn't know that uh, that a leopard could could change its spots, and Boucher, I think he'd been kind of pegged as a defensive style of coach, uh, and he has turned the hounds loose. And, and I don't think it's, this is something that he dreamt up one night in the off season, thinking of how I can make the team more exciting. Uh, but I think the general manager, Pierre Dorian, had a very direct talk with him. I mean, there was some question about whether Boucher would even come back as head coach. And I think this was a directive from above 
that we're taking a different approach. We're not going to have as many stars in the lineup as we did last year. There's no Eric Carlson. There's no Mike Hoffman. We have to do something to create some interest around this hockey club, and the game is getting faster. The game is getting younger. We are going to model ourselves after that approach and see what we can come up with. And, and I think part of that, too, is marketing the hockey club because, as you know, there's a lot of fans that have their noses out of joint with uh, with the owner, Eugene Melnick, and don't believe that he's capable of, of building a contending hockey club. And I think the feeling with the organization was if we make the games more exciting, uh, maybe we can create a product uh, tempting enough to get the fans back in the seats. About that, what have the crowds been like at Senators' games so far? I, I think they're averaging about 14,000. Okay. Uh, and keep in mind that when they... When the home opener uh, came about, they sent out uh, a missive to all the season ticket owners, and that's probably in the five to 6,000 range at the most, which is the lowest they've ever had up here, um, and basically said, you're welcome to a couple of free tickets, so entertain your friends, family, what have you. So uh, this is something they hadn't been doing in recent years. The, the, the crowds announced were were real to get sold, unlike some earlier years where they did kind of pay for the house. So this is a change in approach. And so when we see 13 or 14 or 15,000, we're not exactly sure how many are paying customers. I want to ask you about the dressing room there in Ottawa. And I wonder if there's a kind of Vegas effect where it's a group of players who everybody has written off and they're using that as a as a rallying point I guess to you know come together, come up with a better product, and 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 you're and you end up being a better team on the ice. Do you see that in the room? Is there any any noticeable difference between the team in the dressing room this year as as opposed to last? And is it carrying out to the ice? Well, it's it's a massive difference, absolutely massive. And you know, some players are talking quietly and some not so quietly about the change in atmosphere since Captain Eric Carlson has left. Uh, and, you know, everybody loved Eric Carlson as a player. Um, how good a leader he was, we can't be sure. We can we can speculate. We're allowed in that dressing room, you know, the, after the morning skate and, and after the games and that kind of thing. But we don't really know what goes on in there. And the sense is, I mean, one player off the record said that you know, the the dictatorship is over and the democracy is in vogue again. And those are very strong words and didn't mention Carlson by name, but we get the idea that, you know, this it's it's very much everything by committee. The the power play is by committee. The leadership is by committee. They don't they don't have a captain. They have this infusion of, of, of young blood with with Brady, Brady Kachuk and Max Lajoie and, and, and others. And Dylan DeMello has come over from San Jose and, and Chris Tierney, as, uh, pieces in that uh, Eric Carlson trade. And they've taken on a major role. So I think what, what's been nice for, for each of these players, uh, Chris Weidman is another, they're getting opportunities they didn't get before because Carlson ate up so many minutes on the blue line and, and first unit power play and, and it was often bleeding into the second unit and these these guys are now all getting opportunities and a little bit added responsibility that they didn't have before so let's work through some of those new faces i mean the fact thomas shabbat looks great is fantastic for ottawa but not entirely a huge surprise he was a highly touted prospect 
But someone like LeJoie, I mean, you tell me, how much was this guy on the organizational radar? Was there a sense he might be someone who could step up and play a role in the league, you know, right now? No, I don't think so. I don't think that he was really probably one of the front runners to to make the team out of training camp. He just played so well. He just basically played his way onto the team, and that was another thing you had this year. I mean, most camps with experienced teams, I mean, you could look at the Toronto Maple Leafs or uh, any established club, and you can pretty much pick the roster from the first day of camp. And you used to be able to do that with, with Ottawa teams as well, but this year it was – it was wide open, and there's you know there's two or three other youngsters down in Belleville that are kind of knocking on the door as well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, who the call-ups become as the as the injuries play out. But you know, Max Lejoie has been a, has been a complete surprise, and he he kind of laughs at his own scoring prowess because uh, you know people say, when was the last time you you scored so prolifically? Was it was it junior? And he said, uh, no, not really. I might get a a point every other game kind of thing, but, you, you know, really never. So I, I don't think that he can probably keep that up. Um, but I think when you're talking about Thomas Chabot, you're talking about a different kind of player. You're talking about a guy who might eventually step in and, and be the guy to replace Eric Carlson. Not that he's as flashy, but he's very fluid. Uh, he's bigger. I think he's got a chance to defend better than Carlson. He's got a great shot from the point. Uh, he dances on the, the blue line very nicely on the power play. They're not afraid to run that umbrella power play with him in a like a like a one three one power play. So um, a lot more responsibility has come his way, and I think it's it's fortunate that he played as many games as he did last year because you know unlike Lajoie and some of the others, um, he's not having to step into a a new league uh, with with you know he's he's got more ice time, more responsibilities. But he was able to work up to it a little bit by virtue of this being his second season in the league. So the return on the Eric Carlson trade was widely panned. It's tough to get back a return for a guy like that who you're going to feel good about in that situation that that Ottawa was in. But Chris Tierney is tied with Shabbat for the team lead in scoring right now, eight points in six games. Dylan DeMello's got five points on his own. Rudolph's Balsers has got four goals in four games in the AHL. Wayne, early returns here, not so bad for Carlson, has it been? Not so bad at all. <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris Tierney, and uh, you know, we're not getting a chance to see Belsers just yet, but as you, as you point out, he's one of those guys in Belleau that's really lighting it up. But uh, Chris Tierney has really kind of been a, a, a revelation, and, and Dylan DeMello as well. I don't think we, – we thought they were NHL players. We didn't know they'd be able to, to step in and, and kind of play that, the way that they have, and both, both producing, and Dylan DeMello – you know, plus minus stats aren't exactly in vogue these days. But the fact that he's he's plus eight is uh, is pretty indicative of of the way that he's played and also the way that he's produced. He's another guy. Don't think you don't really look at him and say, well, this guy's obviously an offensive defenseman. I mean, he, he's mostly paired with Thomas Shabbat and is supposed to be the the defensive half of that tandem. You know, for those times when when Shabbat races up ice, so those. Those points from the blue line from him are are both, I, I think, a bit of a surprise and and maybe indicative too of what we talked about at the at the off the top and the defenseman joining in. So he's not always just shooting from the blue line, but he's you know he's maybe in the high slot and he's uh, he's scored from from that position. And Tierney's been a, a really solid two way center. 
um, and had some really nice chemistry going with Mark uh, Mark Stone and and Brady Kachuk, and it was a shame that uh, Kachuk got got injured. He's a he's a very robust player and was probably a little over exuberant on a on a check on the end boards and ended up tearing a ligament in his leg. He finished the game, uh, but now is out for about a month. But that line with with Chris Tierney at center was really sparkling and and you know would have several moments of pressure uh that they generated against Dallas in particular in that game the other night that uh, that really opened some eyes. So if Ottawa is going to play this same style high risk high reward all season long and they end up overachieving I think we all agree that Craig Anderson needs to be on his game throughout the season. Early on, he looks great. 925 save percentage, facing a ton of shots against every game. Do you believe he can sustain this play throughout the season? I mean, his career, he's pretty much got one bad season, followed by a great one, followed by a bad one, followed by a great one again. And he's on track. Last year, it was an 898 save percentage. This year, is is he bouncing back again for real, even, <laughs> even at age 37? He is. He actually is bouncing back. But you have to remember, even in some of those years when he was really strong, um, part of what helped him in a strange kind of way was the fact that he was injured and he was out for a bunch of games. You know, he's injured his hand a couple times, and then, of course, the famous uh, chicken-cutting episode where he sliced his thumb. Um, He's had some injury issues, and when he has less of a workload, you know, I think it really helps him. And particularly at his age, I think this is going to be an issue. The way that they play, um, and they're trying to get a little bit better, again, by committee, defense is by committee, and so the, there's a lot of onus on the forwards to come back and help those young defensemen. And there have been a couple of games, and I'm thinking about the Boston Bruins that, that basically lit up this, the centers, although Mike Condon was in net for that game, and it wasn't Craig Anderson, but the Philadelphia Flyers as well. It seems like the, um, the teams that have one line that they can really load up and can exploit Ottawa, uh, that's where they have a lot of issues. So I don't know if Anderson can sustain it, but they do rely on him an awful lot. They get outshot most games, uh, and he needs to come up with a big save, and then they can respond with all their youthful enthusiasm and their work ethic. And they, you know, they're never out of games because they, they work hard and they push and they, they do try to turn up the gas a little bit on the offense. But you're absolutely right. They rely on their goalie a lot, and I think it's it's going to be a lot to ask of a 37-year-old Craig Anderson. And Mike Condon, you know, he needs to bounce back himself because a couple of years ago he played very well in a backup role. Last year, not so much. And so Anderson's not the only one looking to bounce back, but Condon as well. When we entered this season and spent much of the offseason talking about Ottawa in the context of a rebuilding team, citing guys like Craig Anderson as people who could be out there on the trade market who might have some value. Certainly Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, both of whom playing the last year of a contract, Stone on a one-year contract, eligible to become UFAs next summer. The sense was it was a foregone conclusion that as part of a rebuild, guys like that, and I'm thinking specifically of Stone and Duchesne because they have such value, would be on the way out how much has to happen here before we truly reevaluate? Hey, is that the way things are going to actually play out? And is there a world where you could see those two guys saying, hey, if, if things are going to get better here and maybe better quicker, we might want to truly be part of a long-term solution? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's this is going to be very interesting to watch. I know there was some some chatter this week because Matt Duchesne's agent has had some some very preliminary talks with Pierre Dorian. So you know, at least the the door is open there. And Matt Duchesne says all the right things about wanting to be here. He's an Ontario guy. He loves being this. He lives. He's from Halliburton and feels that he's pretty close to home here in Ottawa. Uh, Mark Stone, who many believe will be the next captain of the team, uh, has also made no bones about the fact that he, he loves it here. He's drafted by the Senators and was a late-round pick that's blossomed into you know just such a strong character player, even though he's struggling a little bit offensively. I think he's trying to do too much. But if they could get those two guys back and, and sign them to long-term deals, I think it would go a long way to winning over the fan base here and you know as an indication that yeah you know this team this team can legitimately contend down the road we're willing to to step up when we need to sign really important players we let carlson go but you know for for other reasons you know not just the cost but perhaps a change in the dressing room we felt it was the way to go and that's fine i think people over time can they can buy that but if they let these two guys go, uh, it sends, I believe, the wrong wrong signal to the fan base as well. It might just blow up this season, which is, you know, so far coming you know, com- coming out of the gate. It's, it's, they've been so uh, been almost uh, attractive and exciting in a way that fans here never imagined. I, I talked to people anecdotally about them, you know, fans that were planned to boycott the team, and they're now out getting mini packs and, and what have you. So they're they're enticed by the, the style of play and by the enthusiasm. I think all of that would go out the window if we find out, you know, closer to Christmas that there's there's no shot of, of signing either uh, Duchesne or Stone. Well, it's uh, it's funny. We always talk about, you know, fans being fickle in, in the context of them turning away from the team. But as you said, hey, the team shows a little something and – Maybe they start to come back to the fold, and as you said, those uh, those mini packs start flying off the shelves. Even with a little hint of something good, we'll see if the Senators can continue to give them something to believe in. Wayne, thanks so much for joining us today. Anytime, guys. A lot of fun. All right, that is Wayne Scanlon. He covers the Senators for Sportsnet.ca. Interesting comments there on Eric Carlson. Yeah, I'll say. <laughs> uh, good thing he's going to San Jose. That That's a room that seems to be able to, you know, if, if this is Eric Carlson that they're talking about, it sounds like, that San Jose room is one that is already full of leaders, experienced guys. Strong, strong personalities. Yeah, he's not going to go in and strong arm that room necessarily, even if Joe Thornton isn't around all the time because he's missed some time here with injury. You've still got Joe Pavelski, Logan Couture, Mark Edward Velasic, Brent Burns, and guys like Brent Burns and Joe Thornton especially, can they seem to be able to lighten the mood and take an edge off. Uh, so, you know, if he was going to some other dressing rooms, then maybe he would, you know... Maybe this goes in a whole different direction than than going to San Jose. Well, I guess part of it, too, is when you're Carlson and you probably feel like a lot is on your shoulders and to some degree it is all kind of up to you, right? Right. You can see how you might fall into that role a little bit of, you know, if this is what Wayne is alluding to, saying, you do this, you do this, you do this, I'm going to do everything else, you know? Yeah, I mean, he was logging a ton of ice time for the Senators. They were were thin already, even even if... He was their guy. Yeah, I mean, remember when they made it to the Eastern Conference Final 
and they were a goal away from getting to the Stanley Cup final. That was a team that was a minus goals differential team. They weren't supposed to be any good. They weren't supposed to even make it to the playoffs. They were a very thin team up front, led entirely by what Eric Carlson could do. So there was absolutely way more pressure on his shoulders than anybody else. And I would even say even now, even looking at Duchesne and Mark Stone as, you know, potentially if these guys sign long term and they're your you know, I think Mark Stone will be the guy who is eventually your captain if he sticks around. I don't even think the pressure is going to be as much on him because the expectations just start off so much lower than they were when Carlson was around. Well, what a reversal it would be if, I mean, could you imagine, can you see the press conference with Dorian with one guy on either side? And uh, I guess it couldn't be till January because I don't think Stone can actually sign an extension until then. But Jan 1, these two guys saying they're re-upping for eight-year deals, it would be... Certainly not something we anticipated, right? No, no. That would be just incredible to go from where Ottawa was just a couple of weeks ago after trading Eric Carlson, deciding to keep the Brady Kachuk pick a couple months earlier. You don't have your best player. You got your next two best players are UFAs to be. Why would they want to stick around? Everything looks like it's going off the rails. You don't even have your first round pick. Looks like Colorado's sure. going to get the first overall pick. And now we're talking about, oh, this is an exciting team to watch. Fans should go down and watch this team. Maybe they can keep their UFAs. Maybe this rebuild doesn't have to take as long as we thought. And maybe it won't really matter so much that Colorado is holding their first round pick because, I mean, maybe it finishes outside the top 10. Long season ahead. Long, Long season, season ahead. ahead. Long season ahead. That's right. And make sure you are sticking with tape to tape the entire season. You can always find us on iTunes, sportsnet.ca. While you're there, check out our awesome other podcasts, Free Association, The Raps in full swing now. Kawhi Leonard, man, there's going to be a lot to pay attention to there. And it's the off season for the Blue Jays. Our Red Sox are still going here, but it is the off season yeah, for the Blue Jays. You know, Ben Nicholson-Smith and Arden Zwelling will be doing at the letters as the Jays work through finding a manager and then finding some uh, new faces for 2019. Make sure you follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan, myself, at Dixon on Sports, and check back next time for more Glass Rattling Hockey action on Tape to Tape.